But as you ascend up the line and you have so many things in a macro perspective of your business, whatever your business may be, you just can't do it all. Growth requires delegation and delegation equals self-confidence. Alan has started and grown several multi-million dollar businesses. His mission is to help you do the same. Welcome to the Business Growth Pod, building the future one entrepreneur at a time. Hey everyone, welcome to the Business Growth Pod. I'm your host, Alan Draper. In business, leadership can be quantified in a variety of ways, from employee satisfaction surveys to net revenue. In sports, it often comes down to championships. Championship coaches are in a unique position to share their thoughts and ideas about leadership and what it takes to become a great leader. And Marty Smith got a front row seat to exactly that. Marty is an interviewer and storyteller for ESPN, as well as the New York Times bestselling author of his 2019 memoir, Never Settle. His new book, shares the stories, perceptions, and ideas of championship coaches, including Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, Mac Brown, Tom Izzo, and many others. It's called Sideline CEO, Leadership Principles from Championship Coaches. Marty, thanks for the time. Alan, I'm so grateful, brother. Thank you for giving me the platform to chat about it and that amazing introduction. Yeah, it's funny. When you do a project like this, brother, you kind of go through it and you're you're so close to it and you're so immersed in it. You hope that folks who read it can take something away that they can envelop into their daily walk. And I certainly have done that myself as a professional, as a father, husband. But it really is a who's who. When you name those folks, every single one of these individuals have achieved at the absolute highest level. And you said it really well there. When you're in the sporting landscape, you win or you're gone. And each one of these individuals are elite historic winners. Many of them are Hall of Fame coaches. And how about this number? Among them, there are 55 total championships, either in the, at the collegiate level or the professional level. Of course, I interviewed Doc Rivers, too. He was won a championship with the Celtics. So it's either the collegiate mm-hmm. level or the pro level, and it's 55 total championships. It's really something. That's incredible. And, you know, we're happy to get access to you, Marty. Talk about this amazing book. We know that you're you're preparing for college football game tomorrow at Texas A&M. So we appreciate, I know you're in a public space. There's going to be some things going on behind you. That's not a problem at all. We're happy to have you. In the first chapter of your new book, there's a lot of ideas and concepts about leadership that get tossed around from all these great coaches. For you personally, how do you define what leadership is and what it means to you? Bringing people with you. I think that uh, through trust of action and trust of words and following through on what you say, you build that trust and you can't lead without trust. Trust is the most important foundation principle in leadership. If you have trust, you can move mountains. If you don't, you can't lead them out of a room, uh, to quote Urban Meyer from the book. But I think that, you know, I think about my own path and I've been offered opportunity from so many different people, so many different individuals 
who had platforms that offered me opportunity and believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. And they gave me that opportunity and they mentored me into what they saw. And I think that's what great leaders do. And it doesn't matter the context of what we're talking about. And there's another very important part of that, Alan. And I learned this from Roy Williams. And that is this. You don't treat everybody the same. You treat everybody fairly. And I thought that was such an interesting thing because we've heard so many times throughout our lives and walk and journey, man, I'm going to treat everybody the same. I don't care if you're the biggest star. I don't care if you're the guy at the end of the bench. I don't care if you just started at XYZ company or you're tenured 20 years. We're treating everybody the same. BS. You treat everybody fair because life is context and repetition. And the context for you is not the context for me, right? Because we learn at different rates. Our respective definitions from the leadership level are not the same thing based on what we've earned. And I just thought that was such an interesting perspective from those guys and something that seems fundamental, but until it was verbalized, I never really thought about it that way. I think that you're, you know, when you're rubbing shoulders with leaders at that level, you get to benefit from the experiences and the lessons that they've gone through. And a lot of these folks have been around a really long time. I thought it was really interesting when Tom Izzo is talking about kind of his definition of leadership and how it was kind of a common theme throughout the book where, and you already mentioned it where it's not leadership unless you're bringing people along, that leadership involves impact or influence. And Tom Izzo specifically said something like how he, you know, in not so many words, but he's not a fan of this quote unquote leading by example, because that just means no one is watching you. What are your opinions of that aspect of it, of leadership, this requirement of, hey, we've got to bring people along with us and not all people are going to react the same. I do believe you can lead by example myself, but like you look at Kobe Bryant, okay, at the player level, Kobe Bryant led by example because he was the first guy in the gym. And while all the other guys were going out to the club at night, he was like, I'm going to work. So Mm -hmm. it's on you guys to meet my level of personal expectation of excellence, right? Now, Kobe brought them with him too. He led by example, but he also verbalized, demanded, and followed through. So I believe you can lead by example, but it's a very, like I understand what Coach is saying. Coach's point is he's in the gym by himself. He's working out by himself. He keeps to himself, all that stuff. And I understand that philosophy, and he's not wrong. But I I think that there are certain outliers like Kobe. I mean, when he was saying that, the first thing that came to mind for me was, well, I feel like Kobe led by example, but then, you know, if you study Kobe, which I, I've gone to Kobe Bryant masterclass, I study him all the time. I marvel at his, his willingness to be process over outcome. And we'll get to that in just a minute, Alan, because I think that's one of the most important things that's in this book. Because he was process over outcome, he demanded of others to be process over outcome. So, I mean, if you're okay, let's jump into that right now. I think, you know, a a lot of folks that are listening right now are entrepreneurs. 
There are people that are getting their businesses started and taking them to the next level. And it's really common for us as entrepreneurs and business owners to be focused on in results and to not realize that it's the process that's refining us. It's the process that's going to allow us to make those results replicable and that as leaders, we have to make sure that we're encouraging that with our teams, that it's not just about what we're getting to at the end of the day. It's the process about how we're doing it. Completely agree. And uh, two of the coaches with whom I chatted really broke it down in such a beautiful way. Nick Saban first and Dabo Sweeney at Clemson University second. And I'll share with you, it was basically the same philosophy, only their communication in terms of how they delivered it was just a bit different in terms of phrasing. Okay, let's start with Saban. Saban says to me, in the Alabama football facility, there is a goals pyramid on the wall in the Alabama football facility. And that goals pyramid does not say win the Southeastern Conference Championship. It does not say win the national championship. It says be a champion. Now think Hmm. about the differences there, Alan, because if every day you're doing everything that it takes and exhausting yourself and self-demanding to be your absolute best self, then you have the opportunity to be a champion. And if you're a champion, then you thereby might have the opportunity, if everyone collectively is being a champion, to what? Win a championship. Yeah. It's an inside-out approach. And Dabo Sweeney said it to me this way. Clemson's sort of mantra is best is the standard. It's the same principle as be a champion. But I loved how Coach Sweeney said it to me. He said it this way, all right? If you're worried about being the best, then there's the anxiety of being the best and worrying about the outcome, and thereby there's no joy in the journey. The joy is in the journey. So if you're working inside out and you're working every day to be your best and find your best, then you will have the opportunity to be the best. And I just think it's funny how that tiny little difference in semantics has such a dramatic impact on the philosophical approach to it because worrying about outcome brings anxiety with it and worry with it. You're not focused on every single play as it were in athletic parlance to get to the outcome that you desire. And so I just love that so much that inside out approach, be a champion and best is the standard. I mean, I I love what you're saying, Marty, because it's so replicable. If you're looking from the inside out, it's you're changing things and you're changing your your perspective in a way that you can continue to replicate that regardless of what team you're on, regardless of what year it is or what you've accomplished in the past. And so having that perspective on process and, and, you know, what the individual is doing, you know, makes that replicable. And I think that's fantastic. I love having these types of conversations. I love analogies and I love stories. I love the passion that you bring in your book. And I think this book is fantastic for, especially for business owners, because of what the stories, the quotes tell can tell them and teach them about their businesses and how they can apply them to their businesses. I love how you can analogize leadership in all different arenas. I love sports analogies because I love sports. 
How have you noticed the impact of your leadership style and what you've learned about leadership over the years and from the greats in your family, both as a husband and as a father? It's a great question. And I think it is, it really goes back to presence because as a father and as a husband in, and as a professional who works in a super high pressure, super transient business where we're constantly going and doing and moving. One of the hardest things to do as a driven individual is be exactly where your feet are and shut your mouth and open your ears and be present for the people with whom you are currently in fellowship. You and I right now, I got a thousand things to do, but it is incumbent as a father and as a husband that I am intentional about right now. I was reminded of that as I made my way through how these coaches have to operate, especially today. Because if you think about guys like Saban, Sweeney, Calipari, Smart, Izzo, they're getting the best of the best in their sports to come play for them. All right. And these are young people who have been told for a long time that they're God's gift to sports. So how do they stay present with that person, continue to affirm that person, but offer that person structure they may have never had? It's a very unique paradigm, right? Tear them down, build them up. It's like Calipari said in the book, the culture here is everybody eats. And that's a hard thing for a lot of these young people. And so that presence is so important because it's the process of building that trust. And then you go for, you build that trust by great communication, great listening skills, which is one of the most underappreciated great skills of leaders is just listening. And I mean, the person that really stood out to me in the book talking about listening was Coach Corbin, Vanderbilt's head baseball coach brilliant thought process from him on on the value of listening to him. It is the best way you can let someone know you care because if you're genuinely listening, your mind is not turning towards what you're going to say next. You're genuinely responding to their heart. And that's a hell of a thing, son. That is a very dynamic thing. So, all of those things are very important as a dad and as a husband. And a lot of us are not good at it. So I've tried to be more intentional in those ways. You know, your comment about just really listening to people, it, it struck me. I just finished reading The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey for, you know, I've read it a few times. And one of those habits is, you seek first to understand, then to be understood. And as human beings, we want to get our voice heard. We want to be heard first. And he kind of turns it on his head. And it sounds like you have a chapter that's about communication and listening. And that's how important it is. I kind of wanted to go through some of the chapters in the book. So you gain thoughts of the championship coaches on seven different leadership qualities, trust, communication, listening, delegation, culture, crisis management, self-evaluation, and evolution. And there's kind of this underlying theme in the book about how leaders are well-rounded. 
Why do you think that is? Why do you think that there's all these things that a really strong leader needs to be in order to be effective? Well, there's not a lot of them, right? They're very, very special individuals, especially when you are someone who can move. I mean, going back to your very first question about sort of my perspective on what leadership is. If you have that talent and that conviction to bring people with you, especially when they don't believe they can do it themselves. That's just next level because so many of us are insecure. So many of us, and that includes myself. I mean, I've said for a long time, I wrote in my first book that my greatest insecurity is I like to be liked and I hate it. (laughs) I admire people who don't care. I care way too much, man. And it will affect me. And in a world of social media, in a world of a lot of toxicity in that, I feel like we're closer than we've ever been virtually and further than we've ever been personally. And you got to think about all those inputs that these young people are experiencing. I just did a feature on Jordan Travis, Florida State's quarterback for college game day. And Jordan almost quit football because of what people were saying to him on social media. So think about what these coaches are managing. All these young people have all these inputs. And so you have to be personal with them and intentionally personal with them. They're going through things in these formative years of their lives. So you have to demand excellence of them between the lines because your butt's on the line. Again, it's hot. You got to win or go home. So they are very, very rare species, these great coaches in the leadership space. And, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of business people who have to be great leaders, but does their business just bomb if they're not great leaders? I don't know. That's why delegation is such an important. That's why I put delegation in the book, Alan, because Mm -hmm. great leaders delegate responsibility and don't micromanage. You hire people that you believe in, and then you let them do their job. Because micromanagement is insecurity and almost certain failure in a lot of ways. I mean, I know there's the Steve Jobs of the world who I think were very hands-on in that way but and succeeded, but it's a rare unicorn who is a great leader with everything that it takes. You know, when I was early in my business career and I started my first company, I really struggled, Marty, because I felt like no one cared like I did. So it was really tough to let go of the reins for me. And then I realized, hey, if I'm going to hire somebody, I'm not going to hire them and then do their job because then one of us is irrelevant. So what is it? You know, you do talk a lot about delegation, how important that is. And I'm 100% on board with that concept. What is it that is for delegation that is so difficult for young leaders? It's not just young leaders, Alan. It's Uber-driven people. Because as Greg Sankey, the Southeastern Conference Commissioner, whom I interviewed in the book, said, if you're a high achiever and an Uber-driven individual, there's this thought process of, I'll just do it myself. But as you ascend up the line and you have so many things in a macro perspective of your business, whatever your business may be, you just can't do it all. 
Growth requires delegation and delegation equals self-confidence. Now, if that person is falling down on the job and you see a quality control issue in one certain area, and if you put it again back in the coaching world, here's the perfect analogy. Actually, the perfect analogy is exactly where I'm sitting right now. Texas A&M football. Jimbo Fisher is the head football coach at Texas A&M University. Jimbo Fisher, for his entire career, has been an elite offensive mind. He has, whether he was the offensive coordinator, he called the plays. Once he ascended to head coach, he was the play caller. It's gotten to the point where the head coaches of major college football programs are CEOs. They have to have a macro approach. If there's a big tennis recruit coming to campus, a big volleyball recruit coming to campus, who do they want to meet? They want to take a picture with a football coach. So the nuance that comes with play calling and scheming for specific defenses that you're going to face that weekend, it's just so inside baseball, the head coaches can, like, they just don't have time for it. And this year, for the first time, Jimbo hired an offensive coordinator and said, okay, Bobby Petrino, it's yours. And we all wondered, was he really going to do it or not? But he is, and it's working. And so where I grew up, man, I grew up in Appalachia, farm country, small rural America, the rural south. And my daddy always used to say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. That just, I mean, for greatness these days, I don't know that that applies. Yeah, that's that's awesome. Marty, I know you're short on time. I have a laundry list of questions here. We're going to have to save those for another day. I wanted to wrap up with one thought. You know, you've interviewed some of the greatest coaches and rubbed shoulders with some of the greatest athletes and individuals in history. If there could be, you know, one interview that you could take from either an athlete or a coach that you've never had the opportunity to take, who would that be and why? Michael Jordan. The answer is Michael Jordan. He, I was infatuated with Michael in every way when I was a, a kid. He transcended sport in a way that few before him ever did. And to this day, he's still this mysterious figure. And I've had the opportunity to be around Michael socially some. I would love the opportunity to sit down with him again with open-ended questions that let him share his truth, a closed mouth and open ears, and just learn. Because if you, I mean, you think about this man's life, Alan, Greatest of all time between the lines, and you'll never convince me otherwise, he's the GOAT. I know there's the LeBron, Kobe, Will Chamberlain, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. People want to put – it's MJ. Then you look at the entrepreneur, okay? You look at the hmm. business mind, all right? The Jordan brand is one of the strongest brands in the world. He bought the Charlotte Hornets for $180 million from Bob Johnson – just sold it for $3 billion. Man knows how to do it. And hmm. so I have a trillion questions for him, and I respect him so much, so the answer's MJ. Love it. Marty, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate you. 
for those that are listening, go get the book. Go get the book. It's going to help Please. you as a father. It's going to help Please. you as a business leader. It's going to help you scale your businesses. It's going to help you solve problems. It's going to help you become a better human being. So, Marty, thank you for your time and look forward to staying in contact with you, my man. Alan, thank you, brother. I'm, I'm so grateful you gave me the platform. I'm sorry that we have to cut it short a bit as I prepare to go host a, a show here in College Station, Texas. But I'll tell you, before I let you run, I think those of you who are business leaders, business owners, young entrepreneurs, one thing that you do not sign up for, but almost invariably have to envelop into your path is crisis management. And that chapter in this book, I feel like the storytelling from these coaches of crises they've had to manage that are beyond your comprehension will really be impactful for you. And I believe that's the best chapter in the book. Thank you so much, Alan, for giving me the platform. Thank you guys. Please go check it out. I do believe there's a lot of lessons, quotes, um, moments that you'll be able to inject into your personal journey that will be beneficial to you guys. Uh, thank you so much, Alan. I'm grateful, brother. Thanks, Marty. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, please leave us a rating. And for daily inspiration and business tips, follow Alan on Instagram. Until next time, remember, we build the future one entrepreneur at a time. Oh,